I'm Sophie Etheridge and you're listening to An Open Water Swimmers Podcast. It's episode eight, season two of An Open Water Swimmers Podcast with me, Will Ellis. This means that after today, there are only four episodes remaining of the season. I mean, time's flown by and I, I hope you're enjoying these chats as much as I am making them. It goes without saying that please do keep your comments and follows and likes, etc. coming in on the social media channels at OWSwimPod. And of course, do leave me a rating if you are enjoying the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Right. Today's guest uh, is an absolute belter of an episode. I was honoured to be able to chat with a swimmer who has overcome so much physical adversity. She is known as the adaptive athlete and is a swimmer who carries a disability. She lost the full use of her legs in a cycling accident, ironically, when she was on her way to swim training as a triathlete at the time. Battling through huge amounts of pain and bucket loads of sheer willpower, she started to swim again and recently completed a double Windermere crossing, which, for those of you who don't know, is basically the same distance as the English Channel. She is a force for change in our sport, and she heads up a group of swimmers on Facebook who have disabilities, fighting for more inclusion across open water events. I so enjoyed this chat. It was quite a long one as we had so much to cover, but I've left it all in as it was really rich and I loved it. So it's my pleasure to introduce Sophie Etheridge. So it's my absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast this morning, Sophie Etheridge. Thank you so much so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So it's a, I'm really excited to interview you this morning, Sophie, having read lots of uh, the editorials and all the literature that us swimmers find ourselves reading on a, on a monthly basis. Um, so I am, um, yeah, I'm really, really pumped for this chat. So I will dive straight in if that's all right. So yeah. Sophie, why do you swim? Obviously not everyone starts in the open water, this being an open water swimmers podcast. So it might be, why did you take up swimming? Why do you now continue to swim? And what is it about the water or the environment of the water for you that keeps you coming back to it? So I started swimming because I was jealous of my sister, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when I was a toddler after school, we used to have to go and I used to have to go and sit and watch my sister in her swimming lessons. And I used to scream the place down. <laughs> um, and in the end, the teacher just said, let her get in the water. Oh, wow. And it sort of started from there, really. Um, so I grew up through the STA award system um, and completed them all by about the age of 12, which was several years younger than you're meant to complete them. Great. Um, and during that time, also started swimming competitively with the Hastings Seagulls. Um, became a student teacher through again through the STA um, and also joined the Hastings Voluntary Lifeguard Club. Um, so it's a RLSS club, but it's charity. Um, and they introduced me to open water basically. So I learned all the life-saving skills, but in the summer we went down to the beach and we would do the safety cover for rowing regattas and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and I started sea swimming with them. And from then on, I think it was about age 14, 15, spent most summers in the sea yeah. just gradually yeah. building up and I can't pinpoint exactly what it is but as soon as I started I preferred it to pool swimming um it was 
more of a challenge rather than just batting up and down a pool mm. for several hours a week. It was different every single time you went. And I found that I was learning something new every time I went in terms of both my swimming and in general in the sea. Yeah. And the way that you have the things you have to do in the sea, like swimming across currents and tides and things like that. And you just don't get any of that in a pool, obviously. Mm. So it sort of grew from there. About age 15, um, the Hastings Voluntary Life Club decided to do a fundraising challenge. And we did the cha- uh, English Channel Relay Swim. Sure. Um and we started with a group of about 15 swimmers, I think it was. And gradually through winter and everything, the numbers dropped off as people dropped out. Um, I'd never, ever swum in a wetsuit. So I didn't know the difference between swimming in a wetsuit and not, which obviously now I do. And the difference is huge. But at the time, it just wasn't a thing because I'd always swum just in a swimming costume. Yeah. Um, but I ended up being picked for the final six for the team um and sadly on the boat on the day so we'd got the call to Dover um and almost as soon as we left Dover Harbour I started feeling seasick um I'd never ever been seasick before in my life it had never been an issue and actually we trained bobbing in a boat in the middle of the sea for hours on end to try and make us be sick so that we would then know that we could practice getting in and swimming after we'd been sick as gross as that yeah. sounds yeah yeah yeah, sure um it was it's just something you've got to do and no matter what i ate or tried i couldn't i could not make myself be seasick during the training but as soon as we got over got out of the harbor i started being seasick mm. and was seasick for 14 and a half hours oh my gosh that's horrible um so I ended up at about three o'clock in the morning in the middle of the channel at age 16 having to make the decision if I was going to swim or not or let the substitute swim yeah and because I was being so sick eventually decided that it would be safer to let the substitute swim um and they did complete the relay because if I had got in and swam and then got out and continued to be seasick and five hours later, then couldn't get back in because I was too weak. Mm. The team failed outright. So, so that the team comp- would complete it. And I knew that they would, if, even if I didn't swim, because the substitute was a great swimmer as well. Um, decided myself to put the team first and let them swim instead of me. And yeah. I spent the entire journey there and back being seasick. Oh, God. Wasn't the outcome i was looking for <laughs> no and that's not that's not a, a very pleasant entry into uh, you know a relay arena like that so no. so I, I guess what what kept you coming back then i mean that's enough to put anyone off so when i got off the boat i automatically stopped being seasick obviously <laughs> um and about an hour later I ate a roast dinner oh god as you do um it was literally it was very it was really strange because it was as soon as I was on land I was absolutely fine um but I said to my mum in the car journey on the way home well if I can't do the channel in a relay because I keep being seasick I'll just have to do it solo one day won't I yeah 
Yeah. And I don't think she believed me, <laughs> to be honest. I think it was just one of those passing comments that sort of gets pushed to one side and ignored. Um, and that sort of started my drive for open water swimming challenges, really. Right. Um, I've always been a longer distance swimmer. Yeah. Um, I always preferred the longer distances when even when I was swimming competitively. Um, and I think I did my first 10K in the pool when I was about 13. Mm. So mm. it's always been long distance for me. I'm one of these people that can just get in and just swim and doesn't really get tired. Right. Um, so in a way, doing the channel solo for me made sense. But I was young. I was at college um, in Lewis. So I was traveling from Hastings to Lewis every day on the train. And I simply, there weren't enough hours in the day for me to be able to train for a challenge like that. Right. Um, so it sort of got paused, um, but I did start getting into triathlon um, and I taught swimming um, at a triathlon club um, for children with special educational needs, mm -hmm. um, which I've always found really, really rewarding working with them. Um, and so I started doing shorter swims because I was just doing sprint triathlons. So the long distance sort of all got pushed to one side. Um, and it wasn't until I went to university that I started to pick it up again and realise how much I actually missed it. Um, but because I went to university, uh, Anglia Ruskin in Cambridge, obviously I was nowhere near the sea. <laughs> um, <laughs> so sea swimming was kind of out really yeah um and I ended up swimming in the lakes um and did enjoy it wasn't I didn't find it as challenging as swimming in the sea but I did enjoy it because it was still different every time you swam mm -hmm. and obviously it was a learning curve from swimming in the sea to swimming in a lake it is just very different yeah um so it kind of came from there and I started doing I did some I think I did the great east swim um and started with a two mile and then the following year did 5k um and decided that actually my focus probably should be more on the swimming side but still kept going to a triathlon club that I'd found in Cambridge at the time mm -hmm. um and then had my accident on yeah. the way to a training session and then since then it's kind of just been swimming yeah this is what I find so fascinating in terms of people's journey with the water through many of life's challenges of which you have uh, you've had um, a big challenge thrown at you is there something about sea swimming lake swimming or even even pool swimming that now post your accident has helped you emotionally physically in any way shape or form into the person that you now the person that you now are how has swimming affected you on that journey hugely so it's had a huge impact on me so as I was growing up I was always the swimmer if you like because when I I was spent as much time in the water as I did out of it because I was training competitively so there were some days where I was swimming first thing in the morning and then doing an evening session as well um so I was always the swimmer as I was growing up and it kind of becomes your identity in some ways people just associate you with that activity. 
Um, <clears throat> and after my accident, where at first I was told I could continue training um, and did and kept pushing myself, but my pain was just getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, well, it's, it's fine. You, you're not doing damage, so keep training. That's, that's not an issue. Was this training as a triathlete or just training as a <laughs> Um, both. Wow. Okay. So I continue trying to run and everything and cycle. Um, I've always cycled everywhere. So that was just sort of a given, if you like. So at one point, I mean, I was cycling, I used a bungee cord to attach my crutches to my bike because it hurt more to walk than it did to cycle. Oh my gosh. So I would cycle somewhere and then walk with crutches and then cycle back, which looked a bit weird. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Um, but in terms of the swimming, my biggest issue was the hypersensitivity. Mm. And so I stopped eventually. Um, I just couldn't take the pain and couldn't do it anymore. It was too painful. Um, and I didn't know if I should be swimming or not because I had this issue with pain, but there was no injury and no reason that I should have the pain and no one could quite work out what was going on. Wow. So it was a bit sort of wishy-washy with no one really knowing what was happening for about, I think it was two, about two and a half years it took them to diagnose me with complex regional pain syndrome, um, which now affects both legs. Um, has that started to affect both legs progressively or is that, yes. has, wow, okay. Yeah, Gosh. so it started with just a sprained ankle from where I was knocked off my bike. Um, and part of CRPS is that it can spread. Mm. Um, and it's normally in your, just, in your limbs sometimes it can actually go full body but thankfully it hasn't for me Mm. um started in just my left ankle and foot and has gradually spread and is to about just below my kneecaps in both legs now um and I couldn't swim because I couldn't take the water on my legs because it hurt too much so stopped everything I couldn't wear trousers even Oh, wow. um so for about three years I lived in flip-flops and shorts even in the snow oh my goodness um gradually after I got sent on a pain management program um and was taught different coping strategies and we had to set goals on that course um myself and one of the other people ladies on the course set ourselves the goal of doing one mile at the great east swim wow. the following year yeah um and for me it started literally by just having my legs sitting on the poolside and having my legs in the water for five minutes and that was all I could take and it was about six months before I could actually start swimming um but we did manage to do the one mile at the greatest swim and as soon as I'd done that event something changed can I ask is presumably the pain the pain doesn't go away you just, no. you're just you're just learning you're just learning to deal with it and, yes. and and cope cope with that pain gosh that's that's an extraordinary process so I'm on I mean I'm on a lot of pain medication and things as well a lot of pain medication um but the pain is always there yeah. um and one of the things that I actually had to do to be able to swim again and I do each year before I start getting in, back into my wetsuit and things um, is there's a thing called capsaicin cream, which is literally crushed chili peppers. Um, and <laughs> it sounds really, really bizarre, but 
you put it on the affected area and it hurts like hell um but it makes your brain be able to eventually realize that that's the worst pain possible so when you have less pain from wearing a wetsuit or something on your legs it doesn't seem as bad i mean does that sort of make sense that makes complete sense you're i guess you're oversensitizing an area so desensitize yeah Yeah. to to desensitize i mean that's i mean that's excruciating that's that's, that's, backwards but it does work does it wow so would you have to put this cream on before you train before you get in the water or is it just something you do before a yeah that's just part that was just part of my training at the beginning of each year when i start getting ready to put a wetsuit on um so i spend the first couple a couple of weeks before i know that i'm going to be getting in the water in a wetsuit um using the cream to get myself used to having some more pain in my legs so that i can manage to have the wetsuit that's extraordinary so a lot of my windermere swim training was actually i had to train myself to be able to wear that wetsuit for that amount of time oh my goodness so it wasn't just the swimming (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's caught in your wetsuit between the neoprene and the skin no so you don't so you don't wear it when you're actually swimming you do it beforehand but does it not it must must stay on so you just leave it on so i was doing it i put it on in the evenings oh i see um and you sit with it on basically oh, God. um and that gets you used to having that higher pain level so that it doesn't hurt as much talk about going yeah. going through going through the mill in order to in order just to train you know it's not like yeah it's not like you can um expect just your training to be hard you're you're preparing your body you know in order to train in a really quite a yeah, harsh way it's trying it's almost trying to trick your brain into being less sensitive to what it's sensitive to this pain that the that your your body or your or your brain uh, whichever way you want to look at it is learning to manage obviously you get to a point where you feel like okay you have a a program as you say and you can you can begin to swim but then once you're in the water does the pain start to dissipate as you begin to get into a rhythm in in the water does the water feel healing is there anything about the process of training or even your swim that makes you start to feel any better physically no but mentally yes wow okay so for me in in terms of swimming it's as much mental as it is physical Mm. um so once i'd done that one mile swim at the great east swim i it was almost like rediscovering a bit of myself Mm. because i wasn't mentally I wasn't sure quite where I was or who I was or what I was supposed to do because everything that I'd known and that I'd grown up with as a child and all the plans that I'd had had almost been put on pause or thrown out the window or that's how it felt because suddenly I couldn't do the things that I'd always done Mm. so mentally it was very it was as difficult mentally as it was physically and in terms of swimming, I think it probably sounds a bit cheesy, but the main word that I sort of associate with it is freedom because I can swim and I'm a good swimmer. Mm-hmm. I know it's always been part of me. Um, but there was a moment after the greatest swim one mile where not only I felt like I'd achieved something, 
which was an amazing feeling in itself because it had been a couple of years since I felt that sort of sense of achievement of doing something. Um, but through that, I'd started to find my identity again as a swimmer. Mm. So I decided as soon as I'd done that, right, I'm going to train for a 3K. Great. And then it was, I'm going to train for a 5K. And it gave me something else to focus on other than my health issues. So at this time, I was still playing around with medication, trying to get it balanced and even and work out what I was doing and that sort of thing. But it gave me a space where I could almost shut off from everything. Yeah. Apart from being in that moment. Yeah, it's so interesting. I interviewed Sarah Thomas. I don't know if you listened to that episode. And she talked about the same thing going through her chemotherapy. She didn't stop swimming. It was a, yeah. a, a space to be free, a space of what she knew yeah. um, and which just helped her mentally. And um, I mean, you didn't stop at the 5K. You, you know, you, quite recently, you you swam double Windermere, which is essentially, uh, you know, the same distance as the channel. It's extraordinary. Yes. Um, so it was quite amusing how Windermere two-way came about, to be honest. I had decided, as odd as that sounds, I decided I kept increasing my distance over the years and actually um, was seen at Bath at the Royal National Rheumatology Hospital and did a pain course there as well. And it was during that course that I actually learned not to care about anyone else and what they thought of me. That's awesome. I know that sounds really odd. No, that's awesome. Um, I love that. But it's so one thing that I always had done, even when trying to swim further distances, and one of the things that I realised was actually holding me back, I didn't know that at the time, was that I cared about how I swam. So obviously growing up as a competitive swimmer, you get told how important kicking your legs are and that sort of thing. And one of the things I really struggled with and that caused me more pain was kicking my legs. But Mm. I was determined to do it. And that was part of my training. Every single session was I would have to kick at least four lengths, do four lengths using my legs, um, which just caused me more pain. And now looking back at it, I'm like, why the hell did I do that? That was really (laughs) stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And what I learned in Bath was if kicking your legs doesn't really help you, what's the point in doing it? You're just using energy that you don't need to be using Mm. and causing pain that you don't need to be causing. Mm. Um, And so from then on was like, well, I'm not going to bother kicking my legs Um, and haven't since. Um, And actually by doing that and going, no, let's just forget about the legs and focus on the arms and upper body. I've managed to swim, gradually managed to swim further and further and also faster, Mm. oddly. Um, as I got stronger, because I literally just focused on building the strength in my upper body. So my arms and my technique and everything were as strong as they could possibly be. Yeah. Um, and I did, I went to um, Wales and was supposed to do a 10 mile swim in Lake Tallinn. Um, I think it's called the Ab- Abadovi, Abadovi swim. Um, and that was in... 2019 I think it was Um, and it was in September and it was in a wetsuit um, because I'd only ever since getting back into swimming I'd only ever really swum in a wetsuit and it was going to be the longest swim that I'd done 
by quite a lot and on the day got there and they went yeah by the way the temperature's 13 degrees um and the coldest i'd swum in was about 18 degrees oh, and that's quite a big difference that's a massive difference um, so i ended up i ended up only swimming 10k because i just couldn't just i couldn't deal with the cold because i'd not had any experience of it only 10k um, and 13 degrees come on that's very impressive for for 99 um, so yeah, yeah it was an interest it was a learning curve let's say that um but after that swim part of doing the reason for doing that swim was to see if i could swim windermere one way right um because i was like well if i can do that in that distance then i can do windermere because it's not that much further Mm. um but after actually doing that and only doing the 10k i decided well it wasn't actually that much further doing it one way so why not just do it two ways so it's a bit more of a challenge (laughs) as you do and that was literally how windermere two way came about right did you have that i didn't do the 10 mile swim which was the idea and i swam less distance i then decided to swim further do you did you have your mum in your ear uh, still about the, yeah. laying down the challenge? I think my entire family think, thought I'd lost the plot, to be honest, um, because it was that's quite a difference doing like eleven miles and twenty nearly twenty two miles. There's it's quite a difference, difference between that, yeah. yeah. Um, and to be honest, I'm not sure they thought that I could do it. And I'm not sure they thought I could do it until I did it. Yeah. Um, what do they say now? They're incredibly proud of me and they're amazed that I managed to do it. I mean, I had my sister on the boat with me, safety boat, when I did my windermere swim. Um, and that really, really helped me. Um, and my sister was relaying messages back from my parents to me and things because we had a big whiteboard that she could write on. Oh, brilliant. So she could write messages to me whilst I was swimming. Oh, that's great. Um, and that really, really helped me. But I don't think that they thought that I could do it. I know my mum was really, really worried about me. Um, but I'd done the training and I felt confident that I could do it. But it was, I think everybody sort of went, what? <laughs> How have you gone from 10K to 22 miles in yeah. what are you thinking? And originally I was supposed to do it in 2020. Um, but obviously then COVID hit and pools closed. And I just didn't feel comfortable having only sort of seven weeks training mm. before going and swimming the longest distance I'd ever done in my life. Sounds, sounds um, sensible. Yeah. So <laughs> decided to postpone it to 2021. And actually, that was the best decision I could have made. Mm. And I think if I had attempted it in 2020, I don't think I'd have done it. Right. Um, because so much in my life changed through 2020 and 2021 that mentally and physically, I was so much stronger last year um, than I was the year before that. Mm. Um so it was a bit of an odd journey to get to Windermere. Since I've been back swimming, one thing that I've noticed, especially as I've increased my distance swimming, 
is a lack of other disabled people at open water swimming events. Mm-hmm. And whenever I went to an event, I always got positive comments that sometimes I took as a bit patronizing in that you're an inspiration. I can't believe you've done this. Um, congratulations. And it's great to be congratulated. But I know that there were other swimmers that have disabilities out there that could do those events. And so I couldn't quite work out why they weren't doing the events. Um, And basically, I got fed up of being the only disabled person at events, um, which is how the Facebook group that I run came about. So I decided towards the end of 2020 that I would create a Facebook group specifically for adaptive and disabled open water swimmers um, for myself as much as anything else, to be honest. Yeah. Um, didn't really expect it to go anywhere or anything to happen with it. Um, and then in January 2021, it got shared into the Open Water Swimming UK group Um And we had more than 100 members within Mm. 24 hours. Um, I turned my phone off because the amount of member notifications I was getting, I just couldn't deal with it. Um, So just ignored it completely and hoped for the best. Um, And it's kind of gone from there, really. And I mean, I've become one of the main campaigners for accessible swimming. Yeah. Um, But Have have you noticed a change? in open water events and open water venues change a huge change but it's all sort of happened by accident because i didn't mean it to happen it just sort of did (laughs) how do you mean like i I mean i I understand what you're saying like it it sort of just happened as a result but surely the the kind of the pressure that a, a large group like that would set a precedent on the community means it's not really an accident it's people responding in kind yeah I think it's it's I didn't expect it right so I knew there were a few other people that um disabled people that swam in open water because otherwise where do paratriathletes train exactly so in my head that was what I sort of linked it to well if there's paratriathletes there must be other disabled people that swim yeah um in open water um and I, as I said, I started the group for me. And then all of a sudden there was a huge influx of members. And I was running the group and it was very, it was just very bizarre. Um, I mean, my sister helps me with running the group. She just, she agreed after the huge influx of people, I couldn't deal with it on my own. So she agreed to become an admin in the group as well. I wrote her into it. Um, <laughs> I'm quite good at that with her. Absolutely. Um, if you can't, can't rely on your sister. Who can you rely on? Exactly. And I just started emailing people, basically. So emailed event organisers. Um, and the, I think the biggest change when I ha- happened when I contacted the Henley Swim Company. Mm. Um, so I'd done the Thames Marathon before and they were great at the Thames Marathon. But the issue with the Thames Marathon is that you have to get out all of the locks and then walk a bit and then get back in. And obviously my weakest point is my walking. Yeah. Um, and I'm in a wheelchair sort of 80, 90 percent of the time. Um, and they managed, we managed to ferry my crutches from down the course at the same time as me. 
so that I could do it. So they were really understanding and I'd had a lot of contact with them about it beforehand and things. Um, And I emailed them just out of interest to see if they'd be interested in seeing, trying to make their events more inclusive on their website. Hmm. So one of the issues that we find is that with every event, you have to email the organisers to see if they're actually accessible. Mm -hmm. Because although they say, yes, we're accessible, it doesn't mean they're accessible. Um, So we made a list, the people in the group, we made a list of what would make an, an event accessible to the majority of people and what information would be helpful to know before entering an event. And I went through all of that with Juliet from the Henley Swim and she added it all to their website automatically. Um, And I think by being able to show that one company could do it, it showed other companies they could do it quite easily as well. Yeah. Um, And it grew from, it really did grow from there. Um, And the Outdoor Swimmer um, interviewed me um, outdoor swim magazine mm. um and i was interviewed by swim england as well and other various people and all of that sort of built up the following if you like in making swimming more accessible mm. and it's quite easy to do a lot of people they just need to be open to allowing disabled people to swim outdoors mm-hmm. um because i've i mean i've heard stories in the group that people have shared um events or they've gone swimming or something and they've actually been told they're not allowed to swim in an open water event because they are disabled why so they've been turned away what what's and what and what reasons have the organizers given for that that they they can't be sure that it they they don't believe that the disabled person can swim that distance so it was a long distance swim um i think it was a 10k swim or something and they didn't believe that the person with a disability could swim that far. So they wouldn't let them enter the event without proof of them being able to swim that distance. Gosh, that's that's not fair at all. And they all. didn't have the proof because they hadn't been able to find an event they did could do. Yeah. Because they'd been turned away. Yeah. And so it's things like that. And whenever I get told a story like that, I then contact the people that have said it um, basically put them in their place. Mm. um and say actually you can't you legally you cannot do that no they can't do you think these people are uh these organizers are, are, are worried about safety and the repercussions that you know they yes. which isn't isn't inclusive in the slightest is it in terms of safety i think everyone that i've met that's got any kind of disability there have been a few people that haven't been as cautious but the majority of people that i've met one of their biggest things is safety mm, of course um and ensure the reason they contact the event organizers is to make sure that it's safe mm. because there's no point in risking it if it's not going to be safe so i mean one of the things that a lot of events do for um disabled they or someone with a medical health condition medical condition of any kind mm. you get a different color swimming hat so that you can be told for a part and people can keep a slightly closer eye on you. And that works brilliantly yeah. because it's you're still swimming with the same people. You're not, you're not really, you're being singled out in some ways, but not in a negative way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but some people just weren't open to the idea of having disabled open water swimmers. Mm. 
and I look at it as if we're no different to anyone else. Of course. We, I mean, a lot of people ask me why I say that I'm an adaptive athlete and not a disabled athlete or a power athlete. One of the reasons is I can't be a power athlete because my disability, you can't classify it. It's not under the system. You can't get a classification for it mm. because it's the wrong sort of disability. But also because... Although I view myself as someone with a disability, I don't let that stop me and I adapt things so that I can do them. Mm. So like adapting my stroke so that it's more effective, so not kicking my legs or adapting an exercise and that they need to be willing to adapt. Mm. And it might be something as simple as having a different swimming, different color swimming hat. Yeah, for sure. Or, I don't know, having a spotter on the side or yeah. one person, one-to-one or something like that. It doesn't need to be a huge thing. Yeah. And I think society's perception of disabled people in general is that it's quite negative mm-hmm. and they tend to see everything that they can't do rather than what they can do exactly and that's kind of one of the things that i've been trying to change through swimming yeah and has this because that conversation that those of those ideas as much as your mum and your and being jealous of your sister do those do these ideas now inspire you to keep on swimming i mean have you got the channel in your sights as a as a way to sort of sort of stick to yes. stick two fingers up to all all those sort of naysayers kind of yeah I quite like that description actually yeah <laughs> um so, so now when I get told that they don't think I can do something I go and do it anyway and I pr- go and do it to prove them wrong just because I can <laughs> yeah. and that's kind of become a thing with me <laughs> yeah. which is possibly not the safest thing to have really um but I've discovered in the past sort of year, year and a half, that actually, although it's through swimming, it's made a huge difference to a lot of people. Um, And it's shown a lot of people, especially with my Windermere swim, the amount of positive feedback that I had after it. Um, I mean, it nearly didn't happen last year. I ended up having surgery only four weeks before my swim. Wow. Um, So I was taken into hospital and had to have my gallbladder removed. And it was four weeks to the day what? that I swam Windermere. Yeah. That's, that's, that's jaw-dropping. It's bonkers. And I went with the, I ended up having some sports psychology sessions in the lead up to it in the couple of weeks before. Um, because there were so many people giving me so many different suggestions and sort of, you should do it, you shouldn't do it, that's really dangerous, blah, 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 blah. But I had lots of contact with Leon from Swim Your Swim and updated him and was talking to my doctors and everything. And I basically went and got into Windermere with the attitude that I'll go as far as I can, Mm. expecting possibly to make it one way and then did it both ways. Wow. But it it was literally four weeks to the day. It was my fifth swim back after surgery. What? But I went and did Windermere, yeah. Because obviously I wasn't allowed to swim for two weeks after the surgery because of the risk of infection. Well, I guess you kind of had to look at it as as a forced taper then, didn't you? I mean, yeah, that uh, was, was, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was. 
and but people is... ask me what it's like and I say it's bonkers I mean, that is that's um, nuts it's completely nuts but the positive <laughs> the positive feedback that I had afterwards um was incredible because I think there was a quite a bit of media around it in the open water swimming world mm. in terms of I think the outdoor swimmer did something I know that swim your swim who are a reasonably well-known company were doing a lot of advertising for it to help with my fundraising because I did it as a fundraiser for Arctic One which is disability sport charity that's mm. helped me in the past um and I ended I was aiming to raise 500 pounds and ended up raising uh, I think it was nearly £1,600 wow. instead. Um, but it was from the Windermere two-way that things really, really picked up. And I think a lot of people realised, actually, with if you give someone the right support, they can do it. They just have to be prepared mentally as much as physically. Mm. And I think even me, I don't think I appreciated how much, of long distance swimming is mental as much as it is physical yeah yeah um i knew obviously from experience that a lot of it was mental um but not to the same extent during windermere which was obviously a much longer swim um and it ended up it took me i can't remember six hours or seven hours on the way there uh it must have been six hours on the way there and it took me 10 hours 41 on the way back because the because it got really windy and it was literally like swimming through a washing machine or trying to. Gosh. Um, and there was one occasion I didn't get told till afterwards that actually I moved less than a kilometre in an hour. Oh, God. Um, I didn't know that. I felt like I was going backwards and wasn't moving anywhere, um, but just kept going. And it was all mental on the way mm. back. It really was. Can I ask, did, um, that, did, that, did that 15 hours, did it, or did it, did it feel... Did it feel like four or five hours? I mean, you yeah. obviously, you obviously felt in your head. I guess you could work to the point where you were going to go as far as you can, and that may have been a one way. But I mean, going one way in six and coming back in in in, in under ten. I mean, that's that's a big difference. Did you at any point feel like this isn't going well? Did you did you think you weren't going to make it? I think the way there felt easy. Hmm. So it was ideal conditions. It was it was like swimming in a swimming pool. There was no there were no choppiness. It was glorious sunshine. Um, I actually got sunburned from it because it was that and got lovely wetsuit tan lines the lot. Um, and I actually got a ten k pb within that first way mm. um, on the way there and finished it two hours quicker than I was aiming for. Wow. Um, and was quite happy and chirpy. And it was like, I just swam like a hundred meters in the pool. It wasn't, it That's honestly, good. I was quite happy. And after one way, so I sat and had a pot noodle on the pontoon, well, in the water using the pontoon as a table, had a pot noodle turned around and off I went and was quite happy on the yeah. way back. <laughs> um, but we literally got out of um, Felfer where all the, boats are and everything and it was sort of an oh god moment because I could automatically see and feel the waves that were coming towards me um 
and it was a bit like swimming in the sea against the current to be honest or in the river against current but I'd done a lot of river swimming because I'm quite close to the river so most of my open water swimming training had been in the river Mm. um and I got used to swimming against the current and it was something that I absolutely hated all the way through training and something I quite often gave up on because I just wasn't going anywhere Mm. um and actually one of the things that really helped was having that whiteboard and my sister sending me messages giving me messages um because it was things like she said you've now raised 700 pounds keep going and friends messaged um my instagram account and things and sent good luck wishes all the way through my swim Mm. so I had messages and jokes and things from other people which kind of helped in terms of distracting me Mm. from the fact I wasn't actually going anywhere yeah Um, but it wasn't until it was probably about hour 13 14 when I started to struggle because the sun was going down so it was getting dark and it was one of those nights that's absolutely bloody freezing because there's no there was not a cloud in the sky um and it was just bitterly cold and every time I took a breath I got sort of a freezing cold face and it was just it felt awful um and I was starting to get cold and I when I get cold I'm cold for a long time quite a lot it takes me a long time to warm up um and it was about two hours from the end when I started asking how far have I got to go because I was like I'm not going to be able to take much more in this um and my feeds which were every half an hour on the way back had dropped down to me literally having a sip of hot chocolate and then going because that was all I could I got more cold by sitting in the water floating in the water trying to eat something so I was just having that swig of hot chocolate to give me a little bit of a sugar boost and a little bit of warmth to then keep swimming. Mm. Um, and the last time that I asked if I was nearly there, I didn't realise I was actually about 200 metres away from the beach. Oh, bless you. Because it was that dark that I could not see the beach. Mm. So I didn't actually realise I'd finished. <laughs> um, so I was like, how far have I got to go? And they were like, that's the pontoon now. I was like, where? I'm not seeing a pontoon. <laughs> okay. Now like just swim in that direction. You'll you'll soon run aground. And I was like, brilliant. Oh, wow. Um and it was quite surreal. It took a it took a few days to sink in what I'd done. Yeah, it's massive. Um but from there it was just it was completely overwhelming the amount of change that happened. And the amount of people that contact have contacted me since saying, look, this is the situation. I'm coaching this person. How can I do this? What's the best way to do this? Mm. Or I want to make this event accessible. What do I need to do? Mm. Um, and it's, I mean, in the group, we've got over 600 members now. Mm. Um, yeah, it's great. And it's such a lovely, welcoming, friendly group. Um, and the thing with it is that now there's not only people with disabilities in the group, um, so it's a safe space for people to discuss their disabilities and any issues they're having in terms of swimming. But it's also a place where coaches can join the group as well. And 
can learn from people's lived experiences within swimming how best to deal with someone with a disability that they has asked them to coach them Mm. so it's open the doors for people to actually discuss it yeah and discuss the issues which i think is what was missing before was no one had ever really brought it up or brought it to attention and i think my windermere swim really helped with that and knowing that makes me want to go on and do more swims and see what change i can make through them so i mean the biggest one of the challenges i'm looking at at the moment and it is very early days and it won't be happening. I won't be starting the challenge yet. Um, it's the original Triple Crown yeah. challenge. So that's the Bristol Channel, English Channel and North Channel. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's going back to where I started because it's going back to the sea, mm-hmm. um, which I've not done. And I've not actually swum in the sea. I think I've swum in the sea twice since my accident um so i don't know how my body and the hypersensitivity of my legs and things are going to tolerate it and also with the channel obviously you have to do it under channel rules so it's only a swimming costume not a wetsuit um is there any is there any allowance uh from what i can tell no interesting um so they're very very fixed in their ways yeah um so it's just a a normal swimming costume swimming hat and goggles Mm -hmm. that you're allowed Mm -hmm. i think that's it yeah um and for me the wetsuit makes things much easier which is one of the reasons i wore it when i swam windermere um because it makes my legs float yeah so i don't i don't necessarily use it for the warmth i use it for the buoyancy Mm -hmm. Um, because it means instead of literally dragging my legs, they sort of bob along quite happily behind me. Yeah, I wonder um, if there's any if there's any dispensation on that. There are people who swim, uh, who swim uh, are allowed to swim ten k's competitively, who have who are less abled and use fins and things like that. Yeah, so I, won- I wonder if that is a, a conversation that that needs to needs to start happening for athletes like yourself. It really does. Um, I mean, I went, I was asked to go and talk at Kendall Mountain Festival. First time I'd ever done anything like it. And it was completely surreal. Um, and actually one of the interviewers was Colin Hill, who I had in an earlier episode. Yeah. Um, and I had a lot of people come and talk to me after the event and want to know and asking questions about swimming as a disabled person and actually coming up to me and saying, I've got this condition too what's the best way to do this? Can I have the details of the group? I'm really interested in it and all that sort of thing, which was really lovely. But I had one person come up to me who um, wanted to talk to me aside privately. Um, and they told me that they had been trying to swim the English Channel and they're totally blind. So they swim with a tether to someone and they'd been told they were not allowed to swim it with a tether. And the only way they could do it would be with voice commands. But of course, when you're totally blind, if you're in the middle of the channel, you're not going to hear vocal commands from a boat going left, right. And if your head's under the water. And with the um, noise, so, the, the sound of the diesel engine chugging away. Yeah. 
So they couldn't do it because they wouldn't let them swim. They counted it as that being a swim body and you not doing a solo swim. But I think there are, this is obviously, this is a, a very large conversation that definitely needs to happen. But there are people who have, I have a group of friends who have swam the channel all in wetsuits because it's something they just wanted to do. The fact that yeah. it's not recognized by CSA or CSPF, frankly, is, is kind of irrelevant and it goes back to what you said earlier, not caring what people think. If you want to swim in a wetsuit, swim in a wetsuit. Those, yeah. those, those in the know will, will know what a huge achievement that, that, is, that is for you. And if it's not ratified by the CSA or the CSPF, you know, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my view anyway. But there is a conversation, yeah. that, needs, there is a conversation that, that needs to happen because ratification should be something that... Uh, that's that, the thing. Yeah. I mean, with me, it's... One of the reasons I've looked at the Triple Crown Challenge is because no females ever completed it. Have they not? Wow. No. So there's only, on record, there's only four men that have completed it. Um, there's people that have done two swims, two out of the three swims, mm. but then they don't do the North Channel. <laughs> or they don't, which is kind of understandable because that yeah. is a bit of yeah. um, But it's a challenge. Yeah. Um, and... There's no females on record having completed it, and there's no one with a disability on record having completed it. Gosh, that would be something. So in my head, to me, being able to do that challenge, just the difference that it would make, I mean, Windermere made a big enough difference, but something that no one has ever done before Mm. would be huge. To me, that's something that I would really like to do, but obviously it's very expensive to do it. And I need to work out, I'm spending, I've decided I'm spending this year doing a lot of sea swimming, trying to get back into sea swimming, seeing how my body will cope with the water, because it's not the distances that will be the issues for me. Mm. It will be how much my legs are thrown about by waves and things like that, that I've got to think about. And also feeding because I struggle to tread water. Yes. Um, (laughs) I'm one of these strange people that can float horizontally. So I can literally float upright without using my legs at all, um, just quite happily, which in Windermere was absolutely fine. But in the middle of the sea, obviously the current's going to get me um, and it will be more difficult. So I need to work out things like that. So I've given myself a year to try that and see where I get to. And then hopefully next year we'll do Bristol, Mm. um, depending on how I get on with the sea. Um, I'm still going to do my lake swimming and looking for a lake challenge for this year, which I've not figured out yet, just to kind of keep me interested. Mm. I like the challenge, having the challenges there. Yeah, of course. Um, But I've also started up my own coaching business. So I'm going to focus a lot on that this year as well. And I really want to work with other disabled swimmers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And encourage more disabled swimmers to become coaches themselves even Mm. Mm. Um, because I think the more people and swimming teachers and things that are coaches the more visible they become and the more children and other disabled swimmers will go oh if they can do that I can do that too I have that person there to inspire that role model to inspire someone to then go oh actually no if they can do that yeah what, what, what there's no reason i can't exactly i mean you are you are hugely inspirational in uh in your attitude and in your outreach to other 
other uh, swimmers with with disabilities. That was the longest. I think that's probably the longest answer on record to question one. I think I've I've ever Sorry. had. No, no, it's great. It's a, that's don't apologize. That's a positive. Um, but I I I want to bring it back to you a little bit now, if that's okay. So. What are your earliest memories? This is question two. <laughs> what are your early? What are your earliest memories of of swimming in open water? Is it is it that time because it was your sit your sister you were jealous of your sister pool swimming, weren't you? But is there a, yeah. a memory a memory of open water in your early childhood that that springs to mind? So <laughs> there's a few. So obviously I was swimming with lifeguards at the time. That was how I got into it. And me and my best friend at the time used to just spend our time at the beach swimming in the sea, and we did a lot of sea swimming. Um, and lifeguard training whilst we were there as well um, but one of the funniest things was we were doing some boat handling so it wasn't official swimming but we I think we must have been about 13 and we were going past Fairlight mm-hmm. and were told not to look left so of course you automatically if you're told not to look left you look left um, and of course it was the nudist beach <laughs> So, but I mean, one of the swims that really sticks in my mind was actually, it was a few years after I'd got in a couple of years into the sea swimming. Um, and it was during the relay channel training. Um, and we'd swum out towards Rye and then had to swim back against the current. So we'd done it the opposite way to people normally are recommended where you swim against the current on the way there and with it on the way back um and it was fine on the way there um and the water wasn't too choppy or anything and it was the current wasn't too strong um and we turned around and started swimming back and the current picked right up and so did the wind and we were just swimming and not moving anywhere and it i'm it took hours and hours for us to get back it really did and although it's not a pleasant memory in some ways it showed me what I'm capable of mentally that's interesting yeah because I felt stuck but I managed to get myself out of it and we all did manage to swim back yeah yeah yeah. um one of the biggest issues was we didn't have well we didn't have a lot of choice but to swim back yeah but um they tried getting kayakers out to us to try and help us but the kayakers just ended up on the rocks because the current was that strong they couldn't paddle against it so we had no choice but to swim back and obviously that's never the best situation to be in and it's something that you always try to avoid yeah but for me I learned so much from that experience in terms of what my body's capable of and what I'm capable of and that I don't really I don't really know how to explain it it's some it's a swim that's always always stuck with me yeah and not in a negative way yeah no I, I i get that i understand that there are moments in the water that feel we that sort of define us going forward and that can be that can be any any moment at all yeah so so what does open water swimming mean to you now and obviously there's a there's a huge life-changing moment in there and and how has it changed in terms of your relationship specifically to the water from those early memories to to now when I used to swim before my accident I would always cycle there or walk to the beach or whatever and obviously now I can't do that Hmm. so then it was I enjoyed the swimming and the challenge of swimming when I was younger it was just something that was part of me and always was but then after that break in swimming and getting back into it 
it was a very long process to get back into into the water and get actually back being able to swim and I think through that process it made me appreciate the water a lot more so I was able it gave me the freedom of movement eventually it took a while to get there but when I'm in the water one thing that I always say to people that ask me this sort of question really is that the night one of the nicest things about open water swimming is the community that there is and how supportive the community is but when you're a disabled swimmer you are always going to be singled out because you are different but when you're in the water if you meet people in the water for example if I meet someone in the water they don't know that anything is wrong with me because you meet them from the neck upwards I'm just like everybody else Mm. and it's one of the times where there's no judgment yeah I totally understand that at all yeah because I'm as strong if not stronger than a lot of other swimmers sure and my disability doesn't come into that it's just who I am it's what I do it's what I enjoy Mm. but if you then with getting in and out then I get into a wheelchair yeah and then I become someone different. It's almost like I become someone different because then I become disabled. Your disability doesn't define you as a swimmer. Uh, no. But because because you're in when when you're as you say when you're in the water, um, you are stronger than than most than most other swimmers out there. And then how that changes when you become on land. I mean that's that 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 must be an extraordinary strange thing to have to deal with, especially as you've known both sides of the coin as a swimmer. Yeah it's it's a difficult one it's not I prefer meeting people in the water Mm. um as as odd as that may sound um we could just all sort of go for a swim to meet each other that would be quite helpful um I mean I'm always I'm always disabled I'm always I recognize that no matter where I am no matter what I'm doing I do have a disability that's just how it is but I think society's image of someone that is disabled is very much what you can see so if you see someone in a some days I can walk around my flat unaided very rarely but sometimes I can and if someone saw me like that they wouldn't think there was anything wrong with me Mm. whereas Mm. if I'm in a wheelchair or using a walking stick or crutches like I do to get into the water instantly there's something wrong with me mentally in my head what I've learned over the years is that there isn't anything wrong with me I am who I am yes I've got these issues but that's just who I am everyone has issues be it mental health issues anxiety a physical disability anything everyone has problems it just so happens that mine happens to be something physical and like you say the disability doesn't define me so when I'm in the water the disability doesn't disappear because I still have the issues like the hypersensitivity and kicking my legs and that sort of thing. But people don't notice it as much. Of course, of course. Yeah. There's no judgment or they don't have the same sort of perception as society does when you're out of the water. Mm. You're just like they are. Yeah. Yes, you, you do things slightly differently in that you don't kick your legs, but that's just like someone being a lazy swimmer and not bothering to get their legs because they can't be bothered to get their legs. I don't kick my legs. Uh, <laughs> I have a terrible kick. Exactly. Um, so people, people do though. A lot of open water swimmers hate kicking their legs. It's hmm. just sort of a fact. 
And so the fact that I can't keep my legs doesn't really make a difference. No. no. Until I am on land. Exactly. Yeah. I, I've recently come to use the phrase. Uh, I, I, my wife had listened to a podcast with, with a lady who had children with differences. And that's how she describes it. And that's how we're beginning to describe it um, our, ourselves. Is that a, a, a phrase that you think is a helpful phrase? Because I was, especially in your case, the term disabled, it doesn't, it doesn't really ring true to me because you are, super, you know, you are slightly superhuman in your, in your achievements. And so the term disability is a bit of an oxymoron for me. Yeah. So it's, it's difficult. I mean, one of the things that I've heard quite a bit um, is differently abled. Yeah. Okay. Phrase that I've heard. So it's a disability, but you learn to adapt to it. Mm, and do your... the best that you can with it. Yeah. Um, which is why I call myself the adaptive athlete. Yeah. Because I don't want to be recognized just for the fact I've got a disability. Yeah. So it's helpful in that I have the disability. So I'm able to raise awareness for those that have disabilities and that's disabled and help and support people and that sort of thing. But at the same time, when I'm swimming, I'm just me. Mm. It's not about my disability. That's not why I swim. I swim because I enjoy swimming and always have done. And it mentally, it takes a long time to get to that point. And it's only been in the last year that I've got to that point. But I think the terminology that society use in terms of disabled people, some I know some disabled people, we were actually having a conversation about it the other day. Um, in the language that is used within the Facebook group that I run. So some people don't like being called a disabled swimmer because they're not a disabled swimmer. They're a swimmer with a disability. Yeah. They're a swimmer first. Absolutely. It's yeah. not their disability that's first. It's that they're a, swim they're a person and a swimmer first that just happens to have a disability. And I think from years ago and things where people with disabilities were sort of shunned and locked away and that sort of thing. The attitudes are changing and have changed massively, obviously, mm. but I think the terminology hasn't quite caught up with it mm. and it is slowly catching up, but it's like with everything, it's going to take time. It's going to take but time. People, yeah. But people, you don't, I mean, I feel like it. I don't want to be known for being disabled no because that's not who i am no absolutely, absolutely i'm the i'm a swimmer that does bonkers challenge i'm a musician i'm a swimming coach i have all these different passions and loves and things and that's who i am not the disability mm. it's so interesting it's it's it goes back to what you were saying earlier about what people see first Yes. And how the water is the, is the great leveler. That's a really important question, uh, a really important statement, you know, putting, putting swimmer first, a swimmer with a disability or a swimmer with a difference, because your identity, therefore, is, is based around what, what you know and love, not by yeah. just, what, just what people see. It's a very important conversation. Yeah. So that's a nice segue into, into my next question, which might tie into, there might be a tie into that, I suppose. Open water swimming has always had a degree of fear factor for me, which I always, I don't sort of think that's why it might be so addictive, but is there, do you identify with that first and foremost, but is there anything in, uh, anything in being a, being a swimmer with a disability 
that <laughs> that echoes this that echoes any sort of idea of immediate judgment from other people that might cause fear through you know in, in the swimming community if that makes sense is that a, is that a bonkers question i don't know no it's not it's quite a sensible one um so i think for a lot of people their biggest fear seems to be animals yeah um basically but i think as a i mean as a disabled swimmer we have to think about things like safety mm. um because yes i'm a swimmer first but yes i do have this disability which makes it difficult for me to get in and out of the water i never know quite what my legs are gonna do when i go to get out of the water after a long swim i don't oh, i can't always trust that they will support me so i'm very picky about where i swim so a lot of people locally just go or by the river by field where you've got to climb up bank whereas i go to a boat slipway which is just a ramp so i know that that place i've swum there many many times and i know that place i know where the weeds are the rocks are i know what to expect when i'm getting in and out so i think to be honest i think the fear probably comes more from other people about me swimming than I actually feel. So it's more other people's fear than mine. Yeah. Um, I'm confident in my swimming and confident that if I got into trouble, I know lots of ways to get myself out of it, which I learned from an early age, like swimming against the current and getting stuck. And being a lifeguard. Yeah. Yeah. But saying that, I never ever swim on my own and never would. Mm. even when people have a spotter on the side I've never swum with just a spotter on the side I've always there's always someone in the water with me mm. um, the only time there wasn't was obviously when I did Windermere when they were on the boat and that person always knows my medical conditions mm. I've got a media alert on my watch so that if anything happens they can they know who to contact and I'm very, very open. And I think a lot of people need to be slightly more open when they swim so that if something does happen, I mean, hopefully it won't, then you've got that sense of security there and people know what's going on and what your disability is and that sort of thing and what you can and can't do. So I only tend to swim with people that I know. And if I'm going to swim with someone new, I try to swim with that new person, but with someone that knows me, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I think in terms of Windermere is a good example, actually. So with the safety boat, obviously, if you get into trouble in Windermere or they say, no, you've had enough, you're too cold, you've got to get out. I had to work, we had to work out how I would actually get out. (laughs) Because obviously, normally when you're in a lake, if you're pushing yourself up, you use your legs to kick to give you a bit more oomph to be able to get out. Well, I couldn't do that. Mm. So instead of having just, we had discussions beforehand, before I even signed up to do it, about how we would ensure that I was safe during my Windermere swim, what precautions we would have in place to reassure me and my parents that doing this swim, yes, obviously it's a risk. It's always going to be a risk you're swimming in open water, but to minimise those risks. Um, it's almost like doing a constant risk assessment. Mm. 
it's not fear as such. It's being realistic and practical. And mitigating risk. Yeah. So there's nothing in particular that I'm scared of in swimming. And there never has been. It's just not been a thing for me. Like where people say that they're scared of fish or something. To be honest, I quite enjoy watching the fish as I'm swimming along in the river. (laughs) And people are like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I I quite like it. It's just interesting to watch them as I'm swimming. Gives me something to do. So there's not fear as such, but there is sometimes that anxiety about the unknown in that you can't always predict what's going to happen. That's one of the joys of open water swimming for me is it's always different. You're never, ever going to do the same swim twice, even if you're swimming in the same place. Exactly. It's going to be different. I love that. Um, And it's just trying to lower the risks as much as possible to keep me and whoever I'm swimming with safe. Yeah, yeah. Someone once said to me that always remember that the water wants you, which has always been a mantra of mine when I'm getting into yeah. trouble or I'm tired or, or, or whatever. But if, if you could create a perfect swim, uh, admittedly, this means it suddenly becomes a controlled environment. Is, th- is that something you could do? Is there, is there an, an area that you've always wanted to swim, you know, the, the Caribbean, but, you know, in, in, in my in my local lake you know what I mean it, it doesn't have to be anywhere that's yeah. necessarily real it could be sort of a holodeck from Star Trek type type ideal I mean one swim that I've always wanted to do is obviously the channel hmm. and that would be an ideal swim for me because I just like the idea of the challenge of it but I think I don't really know my ideal swim I've not really thought about it to be honest I would definitely like it to there to be a challenge to it um, because that's one of the things I enjoy um, one thing that I've always wanted to do is some sort of um, swim trekking, yeah. which I've never managed to figure out because it's a bit difficult to trek with a wheelchair. Hmm. And I've also not worked out how to swim in a wheelchair yet. I'm working on it and trying to find <laughs> ways to do it. Um, but I've not quite got there yet. Yeah. Yeah. Good um, luck. Good luck with that. Um, I am actually, I'm looking into a way to do it for the Thames Marathon this year. Are you really? Yeah, I'm wow. looking into all ways to swim with a wheelchair. God, there was I. There was I. Apologise. There was I being facetious, thinking we were we were talking the same thing. And you've actually you've actually gone and done it. My goodness. Yeah, no, it's bonkers. I don't know if it's going to work. We're going to give it a go and see what happens. Wow. Lots of trial and error. Oh, I look forward to um, I look forward to hearing more about that in due course. Could be quite entertaining. I think there's going to be some quite entertaining moments during it in the trial and error. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'd like to do a swim trek so do a swim and then sort of swim along the coast somewhere and then do a bit of a walk and then swim somewhere different where the swim is challenging, but in a different way. Okay. So having that variety of the different challenges in in each bit of the swim, if you like. Yeah. um, I think I'd quite enjoy that sort of thing, but it's just a bit tricky to figure out. But I mean, I just love swimming wherever it is. Mm. If yeah. it's challenging cold water, I mean this. This it's been a learning curve this winter. This is the first winter I've swum through, so I got to October and took my wetsuit off. <gasps> How was that? Which is very backwards. Um, and I mean the coldest we've swum in, I think it was five point four or something. Wow! And so it's been a learning curve for me because it's not always been about swimming, mm. and it's very much what you're like on the day. And there are good swims and bad swims. 
and it doesn't always depend on the temperature depending on what my pain levels like before i get in depends on what the swim's going to be like does your pain react differently to cold to cold much much colder water than it does to slightly warmer water to be honest i've still not managed to quite work it out right so i'm less trusting of my legs when i get out after a cold swim and if it's very cold when i get out my leg one of my legs can quite often go into spasm and has a little bit of a hissy fit and rejects it and isn't too happy with me, um, <laughs> which lasts about an hour. But it eventually calms down. It's just, it's something that I've learned through the winter swimming. But actually, I've really enjoyed swimming, doing the cold water swimming, which I didn't think I would enjoy. Right. Just because it's so unique. And I can actually honestly say there has not been a single swim this winter where I've got out and not had a smile on my face. Mm. <laughs> that's nice that's nice do you think there's a that there's an ice mile in there somewhere in the future i would love to do an ice mile i did consider it doing it this year but decided it was a bit much since it's my first winter swimming <laughs> um it, yeah it's a bit much the bit that i struggle is getting my head in the water yeah so i'm ending up swimming sort of a kilometer head up front crawl hmm. with no legs which is quite hard work yeah 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 and i didn't realize quite how much hard work it was so it's been it's been a real learning curve for me to swim through winter whereas when I was younger that was just natural for me swimming in the sea without a wetsuit because mm. I'd never swum with a wetsuit yeah, yeah whereas now it's a huge difference and obviously I'm swimming with different people because some people can only swim during the summer and that sort of thing yeah but I've really enjoyed the cold water swimming and would love to explore it more and do longer cold water swims yeah just, just suddenly it's going through my brain. Do you swim with a pool boy when you are no. not wearing a wetsuit? No. I'm working on, in the process of developing a tether. Oh. So one of, the, one of the new symptoms that I've got of my condition, you, it can always change and change whenever it fancies really, is that I can't, I can, at the moment, I can no longer visualise my legs. Right. So it sounds odd, but I look at my legs and I don't see them from the kneecap down. Interesting. Um, so when I'm in the water, obviously I can't quite figure out where my legs are all the time, especially in cold water. I've struggled. Um, so I've actually made a tether so that it's more for the sea swimming so that my legs will be joined together. So they won't be going all over the place and I'll know roughly where they are, but there's enough flexibility that I can use them a little bit to balance myself interesting gosh wow i tried a tether that that people sometimes use in the pool to do like core training and that sort of thing but the, because there was that none of that flexibility my legs just sunk yeah so i'm in i'm in trial error phase of at the moment it's literally a bungee cord with two like resistance band type straps that you put on your legs or your wrists or whatever when you're doing resistance stretches attached together <laughs> so uh, for now it, it's kind of that and we're seeing what will happen yeah um but it's things like that that kind of makes women fun for me yeah yeah it's amazing is you've got to try it and see what happens and yeah. yes sometimes admittedly it can be a complete and utter disaster but that's normally quite amusing that's that's a that's a wonderful outlook for anyone regardless of they are of their of their similarities or differences that you know you have to especially with open water swimming there are moments we all have to just just stop and laugh whether it be cold jellyfish 
so I, I think that's a that's that's a that's a lovely mantra to have that is you know that is reflective of all swimmers that's nice so my last question then is where was your last swim and how was it it was awful <laughs> <gasps> it was actually awful and it's the first time I, uh, uh, it's been a long time since I had an awful swim I just didn't feel great on the day so I've recently, um, with all the rain and everything, the river's actually burst its banks and been flooding and things. So obviously I've not been able to swim in it. Um, so my friend and I have been going to the Lido in Cambridge, Jesus Green Lido. Ah. Um, and it's very strange in the Lido. I swam in the Lido last year at Peterborough whilst I was doing my Windermere training to get some longer swims in because um, I could go and do it on my own, obviously. Um, but Jesus Green is very odd because it's a very odd length because it's, is it 90 yards or 90 metres? Right. So it's not, you sort of swim and you think there's going to be an end, but it's not there. So you're in a swimming pool, but there's no end to it. Well, that's how it feels when you're swimming. It feels really bizarre. Right. Um, but for some reason, it was it was just a horrible swim. It was just one of those days. And you do get, everyone gets them where you go and turn up to swim and you're a bit sort of like, yeah. And <laughs> then you get out and you're like, that was really bad. Yeah. That was just awful. Um, Were you smiling after even, even though it was oh, horrible? I was, yeah, of course I was smiling. Good. So I come out, I, it was an awful swim, but I'll still smile about it. Um, I think it was, I want to say it was, I can't remember if it was six or eight degrees, quite a bit of a difference there. Um, but it felt much, much colder to me for some yeah. reason and I've realized that through winter swimming in that there's been days when actually it's not as cold but it feels bloody freezing yeah someone and said then to me days when it is cold but it doesn't feel cold some yeah someone said to me that salt water feels warmer than fresh water and swimming really? pools swimming pools feel colder than lakes I think they're probably right about the Lido to be honest mm. because Jesus Green is obviously completely unheated mm. um and it does feel colder than the river, mm. even when it's not. Well, it, it's, it's, it's something about, I think it's something about how, I mean, I'm, again, I'm, this is pure speculation. And I think someone's told, someone's told me this and they could have been lying through their teeth. It's something about how, uh, a bit like when you wear a space blanket, how it can keep, keep heat in. In, in, mm. a pool, in a pool, the heat just comes out straight comes comes off comes yeah. off your stroke easily whereas in the in, in a lake or the sea there's much more sediment in there um i suppose you've got the flow as well haven't you if you're in the river yeah yeah a but bit that... more flow, so there's more movement in the water yeah well. exactly exactly um but yeah it was it felt absolutely freezing Oof. but was the same temperature as the river had been the week before when i was absolutely fine yeah yeah well, it um, just, it's it just, really strange it just goes to show I'm that actually the river today so are you? Oh, well, that would be fun. Yeah. So hope, hopefully you'll have a you'll have a much better swim today. Yeah. Than well, you it's did. no longer flooded, so it's been through two three weeks since we've been able to get in. Right. Um. So my friend is going to go and have a nosy and see what it's like. Well, I wish you I wish you luck, and I wish hope you have a beautiful swim today. Thank you very much, Sophie. That was the most wonderful chat. Thank you so so much. Um. That was. Sorry, so... I went off on a bit of a tangent. No, it's brilliant. It was. It's so rich in. Uh. It, it's so rich in content, and you're the first 
swimmer with a disability that I, I've, I've managed to interview. Um, and I, I very much hope that I will be able to interview further swimmers uh, with, with differences or disabilities going forward, because there's definitely some really, really important and relevant conversations that really, really need to happen. So um, I hope that you will be the start of, of some more with Thank this you. podcast. Thank you so much, Sophie, for that chat. I wish you all the luck and success in your endeavours and upcoming swims. Please keep us posted. I hope by spreading your message about inclusion and open water swimming events, we can action some change for good. Wow, I just love that. I'll be back next week with episode nine. God, can you believe it? So until then, happy swimming. <laughs>